This is the Sleep Mums brand new series and we're getting all Sesame Street on your ass. The Sleep Mums A to Z is everything you ever wanted to know about the ABCs of parenthood by way of deja vu's, niplash and velcro babies. Our guest this week is likely to be horrified by those terms. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kat QB, broadcaster, podcaster and tea lady to two under fives. And this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child expert and sleep janitor to folks the world over. Our letter this week is a letter E for expectant dad. Hello, Ed. Hello. And congratulations, you're going to be a dad. Yes, I know. It's all sort of uh, slowly sinking in now. Um, that, by the way, that's not me sharing the news with him for the first time. He <laughs> <know>. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, so that's why I'm here. Uh, so Ed, tell me about your setup. How long's your partner got to go? Okay, so we are at 24 weeks now. Um, I've not done the backwards maths of working out what's left, but I know there's there's less left now than there has been. If you're pregnant, that feels like a very long time to go. <laughs> oh my God, he's, he's definitely not the pregnant one. It's our first and we are staying in Edinburgh. So we're sort of town centre and... Yeah, excited. And I don't know if I've got all these great ideas, I, you know, delusions of grandeur of how I'm going to be able to just nail this parenting thing. And then you sort of see others, you're like, how do they make it look so hard or so easy? And uh, yeah. But oh that is like the first uh, rule of parenting, I think, that basically from now on here on in, you are going to be looking at everyone else and think that they are bossing it, whatever they're doing, and you're going to feel like you're doing a crap job. Um, but the fact that you care enough to be worrying about that is basically the most important thing. Good start. <laughs> yeah, good start. <laughs> so uh, do you know what you're having? Yes. Yeah, we're having a wee boy. Oh, oh lovely. And you have a name? I'm just uh, wanting the gossip here, first of all. <laughs> we're, we're, working on a, we're working on a few. We're, we're sort of, it's one of those, we have had friends who've named them, you know, long mm-hmm. before. And then um, my really good friend who lives close to me, they sort of waited three weeks till after before they could make a decision. So <laughs> we've, we've got a few ideas. And then we'll maybe. Off, off how yeah. I think it's always dangerous to tell people your names as well, because people have quite strong opinions. And once baby's here and you've named them, they can't really say anything because it's a cute little baby. Yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. And I've seen it. It's like, oh. That was my name. Yes. That's what I was choosing. I was like, I'm pretty sure I know other people called Ed as well. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a one-time use thing. Preparing for parenthood can be super exciting, but it can also be really daunting. And if there are two of you in the relationship, we experience pregnancy in very different ways and have different worries and questions about parenthood. So this week, we're talking new dad questions. Now, I remember when I did the antenatal group with my partner and he was super keen to know what the show was. Yeah, I'm doing that with little (laughs) quotation marks. So he asked, demonstrating his excitement with some jazz hands. He was like, what's the show? And then he was pretty horrified by the answer. I'm just going to say, if you know, you know. Ed, you're looking a bit blank. (laughs) That may end up being one of your questions now. (laughs) 
So Ed, when you set over your questions, I was actually quite surprised and I totally don't want to do a disservice to dads or to dadronize you, but they were so thoughtful and so considered. And as a listener, it was you got in touch suggesting we have this chat, which is so wonderful and so totally Boy Scout of you. And being prepared is such an important part of parenthood, as well as knowing that no matter how prepared you are, it can probably still go to shit. (laughs) Let's start with your first question. So what do you want to know? Yeah, so it was interesting. Um, I remember my sister-in-law saying that she had called my mother-in-law when she got home from the hospital and was just like, what do I do now? You know, there's now there's someone here who's never been. And I'm now thinking, OK, right, well, surely you have to develop some sort of routine at some stage. But when would be the sort of the first time that they'd, that they'd sleep through? And, you know, I just don't know what happens. And I'm assuming everything's different. But I mean, what what can you expect initially? Sarah, you better take that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the million dollar question. And there is no straight answer to that one. Every baby is completely different. Every family is completely different. And the ideas that you have during your pregnancy about how you're going to parent aren't always what happens in reality. So, you know, there's lots of factors for sleeping through its weight, its age, its the type of parenting that you decide to adopt. If you become routine-led, then you will see a pattern form much quicker than if you're baby-led. If you are quite relaxed parents, then you might find that you, your baby's much more relaxed and you'll see results quicker. It really does just vary and depend, but it's Definitely, you know, if you're following a schedule, then, and there's no medical reasons for baby not to sleep through, then it can happen in the first sort of four to six months. But there is no guarantee. And don't be smug about it when it does happen. Because that is the thing that will annoy other people the most. No, I think that's the big thing, isn't it? You sort of, yeah, read, if, if you're doing well, all right, someone might be struggling and you might be struggling in comparison to someone else. So Exactly. Yeah. There's always going to be someone doing better and worse than you in the sleep department, probably. I think I would say from a sort of personal perspective, it was a bit of a shocker, same as your sister, that when we brought my daughter home, you know, the, those first few nights, I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize you literally do not sleep. Aside from kind of being awake with baby, that you are just kind of bowled over by them and anxious and all these, all these different emotions. And I know Sarah's talking about being a relaxed parent or this parent. I really don't think you know how you're going to feel until you are in that moment. You might be a super relaxed person who does not like routine and then baby arrives and you might really need that or it might go the other way. And that's part of the journey of becoming a parent and working out the kind of parent you are and the kind of child that you have. And that's the kind of beautiful thing to sound like a little bit hallmark about it is that you go on that journey with your baby and that's an amazing process. But we can give you tools to help you through that, but we can't tell you what that will be like. Definitely. So just wait out. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) So we live near a fairly busy road and that's the sort of beauty of Edinburgh. You've got the cobbled streets, but then they can be quite noisy and the sort of, you know, delivery vans going by in the morning and so on. How big an effect does the environment in which your baby is sleeping affect them? Well, I take this one. (laughs) 
<laughs> so environment is key and it's very very important but actually it's the sudden noises that are going to cause an issue so if baby's used to sleeping near a busy road from day one then that is going to be a familiar sound to them in the same way that if you have a dog and the dog barks that barking dog isn't going to affect the baby or older siblings things like that you know none of those consistent external noises will affect the baby it's the sudden ones so um, you know a busy street if you suddenly get the sirens of an ambulance which is an unusual sound the baby could react to that but they're not going to react to the standard car going down or bins being moved you know all the noises that are quite frequent they're going to be fine and when you're thinking about environment you're thinking more about how light the room is how you know light versus dark and the consistent heat of the room that's really important you know you want the temperature to stay consistent throughout the night and throughout naps if your street is one that has sort of random noises going on then using either the white noise or the shush sound can cancel out the more sort of consistent noises and just become the noise that the baby actually needs and so yeah you know it doesn't really matter where you live in a nutshell you can work with it so one of the the joys of kids I guess is that it's like they know so you could creep past baby's door or if they're in your room being as quiet as a teeny tiny mouse and they will wake up and there could be a massive crash bang outside and they'll totally sleep through it it's like it is infuriating they they know when it's you and I was gonna say so I grew up in the countryside and then it was different when I went to the city but I was you know a child by then you know to to go and stay with you know my grandmother or whoever is there is there an inverse so do they get used to those noises and they therefore need them to sleep yes and no if you're using a sound machine then yes they're going to get used to that noise and they will need that to sleep but it's more important like I've just said the actual lighting and the temperature is more important than any sounds they're not going to become you know one of the things that we've talked about on other episodes as well if you're moving between places so you know if you're going on holiday if you're going to stay with family then always make sure that you're taking the sleeping bag or um, bed sheet that they've slept in the night before you leave so it's got the familiar smells so they are the important things rather than thinking that you need to suddenly play traffic noises to get them to sleep (laughs) (laughs) well actually while we're here why don't Sarah why don't you talk a wee bit about what what the ideal setup Mm -hmm sleeping environment is for a baby so if you're talking about an ideal environment for a baby you would be looking at the temperature being consistent between um, 17 and 21 degrees obviously would initially have baby potentially in your room again that is a guideline up for the first six months um, but as a guideline it's entirely up to you what you do but you should have that consistent temperature in terms of sleeping they're going to be in a Moses basket or a cot or similar to that so you want to think about how you you've layered them so initially you would have a vest a sleep suit a swaddle and that would then progress to a sleeping bag you can use blankets when they're swaddled you can use a cellular blanket and just make sure it's always tucked right in at the end of the mattress so it's safe and don't have it coming up too high on the baby but you know you would be thinking about the temperature in the room overall before you would put a blanket on you want to make sure that the cot or whatever the baby is sleeping is away from drafts so you know try and a lot of the kind of older buildings in Edinburgh especially some of the bedrooms will have the fireplaces in them so you obviously just want to 
be aware of the drafts that could come through a fireplace and make sure that the cot's not too close to that, have it away from windows if possible. I mean, you can't always do it all because you might might not have the space. So you've just got to sort of look around a little bit. Obviously, further down the line, you're looking at safety, so you don't want anything that baby can reach up and grab and pull down on themselves. And then you are just wanting to get the room as dark as you possibly can. And again, that's very hard um, for a lot of families. I'm working with a family just now who are living in a tenement building and the windows are massive and it's just impossible to keep it dark. So, you know, you have to think about the position and again of the cot and Moses basket and just try and keep it in an area of the room where you're away from as much direct light as possible. I have to say, Ed, while Sarah was talking, your eyes were widening <laughs> a, a little. <laughs> yeah, the cogs are spinning going, okay, well, well, I'll need to black that out. And how long do I just get some tape up there? Yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll work through that. <laughs> you know, I'll just go okay, I love it. Being practical. This is obviously a podcast. So for our listeners, I wish you were looking a wee bit like a rabbit in headlights. <laughs> That great start is just starting to sort of peter off a little. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, what are we doing? (laughs) It's quite funny seeing how much people do improvise with things like that. So, you know, I've gone into multiple houses where there's been bin bags stuck to little glass windows above doors and things like that. So you don't need to spend a fortune blacking a room out. You can just use what you have in the house. Does that answer your question? Do you know what? I'll probably, as you say, rabbit in the headlights just now. I'll have to actually listen to the podcast and go, okay, oh yeah, I remember asking the question. What was the answer again? So it's good that I've got a reference point. (laughs) You're going to listen to this sometime in May being like, oh yeah, what did Sarah say? Okay, light, breeze, got it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your next question was, you know, such a thoughtful one and, you know, really appreciate you asking it because it's one that I think dads in particular don't talk about enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, you know, pretty big and open to this. So I was in the, in the army before, so I have experienced lack of sleep and know what it's like. And often you've just got an adrenaline and you're outside and you're cold or you're doing whatever. So you, you just keep going and you have to, I, I, you know, I know firsthand the impact of lack of sleep can then have an effect on mental health. You know, it's just one of the many factors, but when you're looking at that with a partner and looking after someone else, have you got any top tips of how to best cope with that? I think it is it is really hard and it's a communication is is the first point of call, but also just, you know, recognizing that you are going to be experiencing it differently from each other and trying to support each other within that and try and not play the blame game, I guess, as a start point, but also to be kind of, I guess coming from the point of view, you are aware anyway, but being aware of of things and just checking in with your partner and in on yourself as well. What would you say, Sarah? Yeah, I think that's, I think that is really important. I think communication is key and also just communicating in a way where it's not confrontational. For both of you, there's going to be times when you can see that your partner is on her knees and really needs a break. But if you suddenly jump on her saying, oh, you need to get to bed, you need to do this, you need to do that, then she will take it badly. She will potentially feel like you're sort of accusing her of failing. So it's just from both of you just thinking about it before you jump in there and maybe just trying to engineer that rest situation without actually making it obvious that that's what you're doing. 
it can be quite nice as well. Like again, we've talked previously about just sometimes just taking time out to have a bath. That can be enough just to reset either one of you. And that can start with baby. So, you know, either one of you can get in the bath with the baby and then the other one can take the baby away and leave that parent in the bath just to, to have a bit of time out mm-hmm. and just chill for, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. And then that can be enough just to reset things and start again. Um, and sleep. At the same time, you know, if the baby is having a nap, both of you sit down and stop because there's a lot of pressure on if one parent is sitting down and relaxing, but the other one's busying themselves, the person sitting down relaxing can feel really guilty. So actually just take that time out together and just say, okay, for the next half an hour, we are just going to sit, even if it's just watching an episode of something and not actually sleeping, but it's just taking the time. Five moments, I think, to connect with things as with your baby as as of course and as a family unit but also as as a couple is important mm-hmm. too yeah definitely and I think as well it's things like throw your kind of routine that you have just now throw that out the window I remember with Emily my last one she I would get all three of them to bed and then I would go to bed Jonathan would stay up but then he would bring me dinner at the 10 o'clock feed so it was just a completely random setup by the time we had three children but at work it's things like that you know you don't need to eat dinner at seven o'clock you can eat dinner whenever it fits into your pattern of sleep just to make you feel better because sleep is important you know it is sleep deprivation is a form of torture so you do want to do everything you can to support each other through that I think also that the hormonal roller coaster you go on as a a new parent whether you're a mum or a dad is massive and your partner is going to experience some massive drops in hormones you'll experience them too but hers will be like insane Uh, we've spoken before about on the fourth day sort of third or fourth day you have the pregnancy hormones go away and you if you're breastfeeding then you have different hormones coming in and if you're not you still have different hormones coming in and it is for a lot of my friends, myself included, it is like falling off an emotional cliff. And not everyone experiences this, but it can be epic and not in a good way. And that kind of continues. And there are lots of moments like that. I would say even as a person who went through it, I didn't really know I was going through it at the time. And it is actually only with hindsight that I look back and I think, well, those were some really, really hard times and I didn't actually even recognize. And I don't know, a bit like Sarah saying, I don't know if my husband had turned around and said, you need help, which in hindsight, I think I probably really did. If he had said that, I don't think I would have necessarily taken it that well either. So, you know, it might be about bringing you dinner and it might be about this, but it's also just being aware that there might be some bigger stuff going on that actually works both ways as well you know I've worked with a lot of families where the dad has experienced postnatal depression and you do have to tread very carefully you know you can't just walk into a room and say oh yes well you've definitely got postnatal depression you know it, it doesn't work like that so you know from your partner's point of view as well it's thinking about your feelings and the changes that you're going through because it is huge you know for both of you it's a massive massive lifestyle change and that I'd imagine it probably even more of a sort of stigma of you know well how as a father can you get you know postnatal depression you know I think now mm-hmm. there's much more being done to address it you know as far as the military side of life is is being done but we still are very quite slow in change of opinion 
Um, so it's yeah, it's just to be, I guess, forewarned is forearmed, and even just now thinking about it and going, listen, this is a possibility. So when it comes around, we spoke about this. You know, this is probably happening it, rather than having all those different emotions as you're going through them and then trying to figure it out. So if you know, or have yet, yeah, as I say, that pre-warning, you could just be being better stead. Definitely, I think, and I think you're totally right. There is still a degree of stigma, but also I think a lot of dads can feel a little bit and I'm I'm talking in kind of gender normative circumstances but that you know a lot of dads can feel a little bit redundant they can feel a little bit out of the loop in in pregnancy they can feel a little bit out of the loop during the birth which for some can be kind of traumatic and can feel quite scary seeing your partner in those circumstances and then the baby's here and you know, mum's either trying to breastfeed or not. And, and she obviously has this bond with the baby that is is different. And I think a lot of dads can feel like, right, I don't know what, what I'm meant to do. Where, what is my role within that? And that can obviously cause self-esteem issues. But I think also what then tends to happen, and I would say this is what happened with, with me, is that the partner goes, right, what can I do? What are the things that I'm good at? So quite often they end up going and throwing themselves into work or you know, some things that actually maybe to the partner don't feel like they're being that supportive, but in their head, that is the thing that they feel like they can do, that they can be strong at doing. And so that type comes back to that thing of, of they feel like they have to be the strong one that's going out and I don't know, making sure that there's food on the table. I'm, I'm, I know I'm making this very basic and clearly, you know, we're moving on in terms of gender stereotypes, but I do think that still exists. And so then to also feel mentally like they're not in a good place can be a really hard thing because they're trying to be the one the strong one if you like my fear is not getting any better is it well your next question is maybe a bit more light-hearted i guess <laughs> oh, you, you mentioned routine at the start uh sarah but ed you wanted to ask a bit more about routine didn't you yeah, absolutely. Because I've been listening to the podcast and just, you know, it's a it's a consistent message. The, the message is consistent, which is good. But like, you know, routine. I'm like, okay, routine. Got it. And then and then I was sort of suddenly thinking about, okay, you go away on holiday and then you're on the continent, somewhere in France or Spain or something, and all the kids are up till like way past midnight. Smoking, so drinking beans. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're actually having a time of their life. And then are they so much more relaxed as a as a you know, as a whole in later life? Uh, you know, the sort of yeah, very laissez faire um attitude to things. You've got a military background though, don't you love a bit of routine? Uh, yes, but you know, now it's breaking away and the sort of, you know, really <laughs> you're Am I rebelling? Yeah, no, I do. I do. I like it. And so, you know, I have more of a morning routine. I like to get things done. So it's, you know, I'm ready for the ready for the day, as it were, and I'm, I've already uh, achieved stuff. But then when it comes to nighttime routine and having, you know, everything there, is it, you know, just a very British thing that we're like, right, we like queuing, we like doing these things, we have routine. And, you know, do they do they do it on the continent? Or have they just got a completely attitude like, you know, we love property in the UK. And, you know, on the continent, they tend to just rent their whole lives. So there's just different attitudes towards it. I absolutely love this question. This really excited me. <laughs> so, I, you know, my favourite word is consistency. And I love a good routine. But within that, there has to be flexibility. And so if I am working with a family from the beginning, I would always advise that you try and get out for dinner at some point in those first couple of months. The consistency part of the routine is going to mean that you can do things like that very easily. So my, I would encourage you 
as long as everybody's feeling up for it, then, you know, week three, four, do your bedtime routine at home and then pop baby into the pram and go out for dinner. Make the most of it, like do things like that. And again, you know, within that, you've got to have the flexibility that one of the um, golden rules that I have is, you know, you've got 30 minutes at either side of everything. So if you're out, you know, obviously not when not when you've got a baby, but when you've got a toddler, you know, if your toddler is out for dinner because you're on holiday or whatever, and they're 30 minutes later getting into the pram to crash out, that is absolutely fine. You know, we've had some amazing holidays in um, Spain and France where the we've had a double buggy and eventually all three of them have gone to sleep at some point, but they've also had loads of fun with it. And it doesn't affect the routine when you get home because you've been consistent. And so it's there, the backbone's there. But Sarah, you're sort of talking about Brits abroad there. <laughs> what about, it's a valid question, what about those on the continent? You know, you regularly do see babies or toddlers or even young kids up until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And I have to say, if I tried to do that with my kids, because we are quite consistent with a routine, they would be an absolute nightmare. They would be re- They would be horrible hard work, you know, and then they would be super grumpy the next day. So there is a difference. I mean, I'm bad enough when it's me, you know. <laughs> exactly. I'm like 10 o'clock past my bedtime. So they do have different routines, you know, over here in the UK, we are pretty much standard that the majority of families that I work with will be asking for a seven till seven routine. The families that I've worked for in Spain and Italy, it generally is a 10 till 10 routine that they want. So that they've got their routine, but they've adapted it to their lifestyle. And they also do have the magical siesta, which goes on so much later than our afternoon naps. And because the whole family is switching off, it is completely different. You know, we love our children having their naps because it allows us a chance to get other things done. They're all switching off and having that nap. So they can sustain a later night together. You know, I'm sure if we put our four-year-old, four or five-year-olds to bed in the afternoon, if we got into bed with them, they would definitely sleep for sure. But try putting a four or five-year-old to bed on their own and they're going to be like, hang on, I'm missing out on all the fun. So, you know, it is a completely different lifestyle and it works because their whole routine has adapted to make it work. So they still have routine. Well, it's one of the things that we like to talk about a lot in the sleep mums as well. And kind of we've said sets us apart. You know, I'm talking about drawing on all those inf- that other information. And the idea is that you're talking about a 24 hour period as a whole. And it's about fulfilling those needs within that 24 hours. And so there are certain things like a checklist, you know, you're like this checklist that you kind of want to tick off in terms of what baby's needs are. And of course, your needs as well. And you, you can amend those those things to work with your lifestyle. You can hack your routine, if you like, to work with your lifestyle, to work with your family dynamic. But the reality is, as we're saying, most people in the UK, you have your dinner, you know, in the earlier part of the evening. We don't tend to have our dinners at nine, ten o'clock at night, unless you're Sarah with your third child. <laughs> You know, we have a slightly different lifestyle. So that's what, what we kind of you use as a foundation to grow on as as kids get older. You know, we we tend to have to get up at this time to get to school and so we or nursery or, you know, at those earlier stages or work. That is kind of how how we live. But, you know, it might be that you have a completely different family 
dynamic you know perhaps here you've had clients but like say farmers for example I don't know maybe like they actually might want their kids to go to bed at four so they can get up at four and I don't know feed the sheep it's it has actually been quite interesting over the last almost a year now I guess seeing how um, people who have had a later routine are now adapting it to bring it earlier because they don't have the same pressures. You know, parents aren't getting home from work late just now. They're just walking downstairs at the time that they can. So, you know, a lot of people who have had a sort of slightly higgledy-piggledy routine are now able to bring it all in together because, you know, the pressures of working life have changed so much. But there is no strict time as like Kat says you know it's all about looking at the 24 hours and fitting things into that so that's the important thing. I would say as as another aside and this is why it's got to be individual to different families what is important to me and why I am quite strict with routine now I would say like you come from a military background but are kind of rebelling I've been freelance my entire life. I'm like, you know, a bit of a hippie artist, whereas I had kids and suddenly I was like, routine, routine, routine. (laughs) So sort of the opposite. But the reason that I'm quite into trying to keep it fairly together is because I really need that time. For me in the evening, I really need that time to watch some crap telly and to hang out with my husband. And that's important to me. And I do think sometimes we miss out a bit on that you know, in terms of having the kids around. And you do look at continental families and think, oh, that's so lovely. Like they all have this, like, you know, they're like mini adults from a young age, but it's also about what you value. And I think as the kids get older, so mine are just three and five, and we're going to do, you know, we're going to start having slightly later dinners. And I think that comes naturally when the kids get a bit more able to do it. And they can, you know, at the weekends, you can have like a special night where they stay up later because they can cope with it a bit better so it's not like you are now in this like hell of seven till seven for your (laughs) for your kids entire childhood as well oh good my key takeaway is to get into the routine and start having afternoon naps now really good ones (laughs) (laughs) and then I guess the other thing is just you know are there any habits that you've typically seen fathers slip into maybe just because they've been unaware of it and so is there anything to be more conscious of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is it. I'm going into the other side, guys. I'm doing it for doing it for all the dads out there. And I love it. And and it's a strong game. I mean, I think as I've sort of said already, I think the very fact that you're here and you're asking these questions is so important. And also that you're focusing on what you can do for your partner and being prepared and being organized rather than focusing on what's happening to her or the baby once it arrives and feeling like you're not part of it it's it's such a positive and proactive start point I think and that's amazing so you're already doing a brilliant job you've seen many more couples in these circumstances yeah I mean I think it's a hard one because it's so personal to you guys there's obviously going to be things that you maybe do slip into that are just really irritating annoy her already (laughs) Yeah. Maybe have the discussion now when she's pregnant and see if anything comes no, up. That's a but, terrible idea. <laughs> no. Make it nice and casual and just, you know, sound it out. But I think maybe flip it. So rather than being conscious of the thing the habits that you might slip into, make it a positive thing. So, you know, I do always try and encourage dads to pick a time of the day that is their time with the baby. 
you know, it could be bath time or it could be the last feed of the day if you're using bottles or it could be, I've actually got one family who um, the dad took it upon himself every day at quarter to five to take the baby for a walk in the sling and they've now got two children and he still does that so his eldest is now six and every single day he has done that walk he's never missed it and it's just you know it's half an hour but his face those first few times that he came back with his little one in the sling his face was an absolute picture and the fact that they've carried it on you know it means that both the children have that special time with daddy and mum has half an hour just to switch off at the end of a long day so so rather than it being negative habits try and think of a positive habit and do it that way I, I don't want this to sound like a cliche and you know obviously we're talking about trying to change that narrative of it being kind of one way or other but I think a big thing for me is not having to ask as well which and I, I you know we don't expect you to have ESP but you know, there are certain, just being considerate, and I, I'm sure you are a very considerate partner anyway, but, you know, those questions of what's for dinner or, you know, that still exist or can still exist when you are, you know, attached to this other being or the, the laundry doesn't get done or the washing up doesn't get done. You don't want to have to be nagging and to get those things done. So not, so being aware of what, what's happening in the house and what can be done to help. It's little things as well, like, you know, bottle feeding or breastfeeding, that is a time when one of you is going to be sitting down with the baby. And so make sure that there is a glass of water and a snack and things like that. You know, it's just thinking ahead. So, or being prepared just to grab the baby if mum has sat down to do a feed and then needs to pee because that is the worst feeling if you're stuck to the cage with a feeding baby and no one to hand it to. <laughs> So Ed, that's your five questions. Uh, we're not being too strict about it, though. Sarah might. That's my five. No more allowed. That's it. Now you're on your own. But is there anything else like that you really need or want to ask before baby arrives? It's one of those that I will sort of as soon as something happens, I, I should have asked that. Should have asked that. <laughs> but I guess I'll just keep listening uh, and see that all the other all the other gems that come up. So there's only so much you can fit in your head at one time as well. So You'll also be really surprised by how you need certain bits of information for a period of time and then you just let it go as well. You know, you'll suddenly you'll become an expert in like sterilizing bottles or something like that. And then, you know. I... Sorry, my wife was just coming in. Oh. <laughs> she can say hi. Is it a bump? Michelle, do you want to come and say hi? Hi there. Hi. Congratulations. Hi. Are there any questions you want Ed to ask us? Because I'm put on the spot. I'm yeah, sure you, there are you, hundreds, you, 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 you. hundreds and hundreds of questions I could think of. But Well, the main we, thing that's been discussed is you need to look after me and the baby. That's the key oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that's it. That, yeah. <laughs> no, that is not your takeaway, Ed. <laughs> I don't know, I'm very impressed with Ed. Um, you know, he's showing lots of interest. I think he actually knows more than I do which is um well that's thanks to these guys so <laughs> I find quite scary that I don't know too much but it's wonderful that Ed does you are creating an amazing foundation for going forward <laughs> that's good I hope so he's actually having a little wriggle around just now as we as we speak he knows he's being talked about <laughs> he knows, he is yeah 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 but well I shall sorry to have interrupted no. I will leave him in your good hands lovely to meet you good luck <laughs> lovely to meet you bye now bye bye 
Sarah, I wanted to ask you, what is the most important thing for, do you think, for a dad or a dad to be to know? Oh, there's so many. I think the hormonal highs and lows are very important. Know that given that you're having a boy, definitely put cotton wool over the willy when you're changing the nappy. (laughs) Uh, You will get pee in your face if you don't. (laughs) Just embrace it. Yeah, like enjoy every bit that you can and you won't enjoy it all because we're human and you know that's natural but yeah just get ready for your life to be turned upside down in a good way but a crazy way I think also don't beat yourself up if if you don't enjoy every moment as well yeah don't and you know if you are like what have we done you might have moments like that (laughs) and you know that's completely normal too it doesn't mean that you don't love your baby or you know any of those things and also I would say you know, I don't have any kind of statistics or anything, but you might not feel an immediate bond. You might, but you might not. And don't worry if you don't, because it will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is really important. Uh, you know, I've spoken to so many people at three o'clock in the morning when they've been doing feeds and there's been tears because they feel like they don't feel the same as everyone else. But actually, you know, speaking to lots and lots of people, not everyone feels the same. And it can feel so different from child to child as well. So that was E for expectant dad and new dad questions. Research has shown that dads-to-be who are armed with the facts and are involved in the process are less likely to experience depression later in life and more likely to have a closer relationship with their baby. Dads are parents too, and I'm so happy that we're getting away from this idea of dads being babysitters or something for their own kids. The sleep mums might have the word mum in the title, but we're basically here for everyone who cares about a small person and getting more sleep. Thank you so much to Ed. It was lovely to have you. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, guys. Good luck. You need to let us know how you get on. And if you need any sleep help, there's loads of brilliant episodes of The Sleep Mums on our feed, so you know where to find us. As ever, we hope that helped. Let us know by writing us a review. Not you, Ed. You don't need to do that. (laughs) I mean, you can rate us if you want about how good an interview that was. But yeah, write us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at The Sleep Mums on Instagram and Facebook and on our website, thesleepmums.co.uk. We'd love to hear who you'd like us to speak to as part of this new series. So holler at us on our DMs or send us an email. Hello at thesleepmums.com. Thanks for listening and sleep soon. <laughs>